All right. Hello, everybody. Hi, City First. It's good to see you. Well, I want to take a moment and say hello to everyone joining us online right now. Say hello to everyone online at Cape Coral, at God Behind Bars, and everyone here at Spring Creek and also joining in our state line location. I, I mean, can you believe it is December? <laughs> It is just so surreal to me that it's December, and that means that Christmas is just around the corner, like what you just saw, and I will tell you, if there's any year where we need Christmas, it is this year. Can I get a big amen at all of our locations, right? I mean, it's so true. The Christmas season is a season of love and joy and peace and hope that can only come from Jesus. And I will tell you, in 2020, we need those things in spades, let me tell you. And so after a year like what we've had, I want to just read for you a voice that I pray that you hear this Christmas season because we've been hearing all kinds of voices in 2020, all kinds of messages. Well, here's a message that I hope that you hear, and that is this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, and I'm quoting the angel of the Lord in, in Luke chapter 2 on that one. How many of you want to be interrupted by hope this season, right? Interrupted by hope because we've been interrupted by a lot of other things. We've been interrupted this year by viruses. We've been interrupted by disrupted schedules, by school closings, by all of a sudden a six-foot bubble around us, right? By shocking news of celebrities or athletes that we love that have just suddenly passed away. There's been a lot of interruptions, and I believe that you and I are ready to be interrupted by something good, interrupted by hope, and that is the title of my message today interrupted by hope, and we are beginning a brand new series called Hope is Here. We're going to run this series all the way up to our Christmas services, and we'll be talking about every week that we're going to talk about how hope is an interruption in our lives, and that, you know what, we really want to see hope be something that's as tangible in our lives and in our families. You know, if you think about it, interruptions um, are many times deemed to be bad. In fact, the word interruption is many times has a connotation that is negative. And for most of us, we don't like to be interrupted. Like, like we're watching the game, like we're focused on the game and someone wants to keep talking to us, right? Or, or maybe like the phone rings in the middle of a movie. Remember when we used to go to movies, right? And that happened. Or um, how about the smoke alarm starts chirping because of a low battery and it never happens during the day. It always happens at night, right? And, and, and it's an interruption. Or you have a busy day and your laptop isn't working. Or, you know, the telemarketers start calling your cell phone during dinner. Or you're having a conversation that's a serious conversation with someone. And then a third person walks up and they don't realize you're in a serious conversation. Like there's no awareness at all, right? And they just kind of hang out and they're like, so what's going on? What are you two talking about, right? And you're like, oh, just, just, just keep, move on, move on, right? You know, we don't like interruptions. But I will tell you that some interruptions can be good. Like, for example, when, when all of a sudden, you know, your phone rings and it's someone you haven't talked to for a really long time and you're looking forward to talking to them, that's a good interruption. 
Or maybe if someone surprises you with a blessing that you didn't expect. That happened on Monday night, literally this last Monday night at our house. It was 5 p.m., which I don't know what it's like in Cape or wherever you're watching right now from around the nation or around the world, but in Rockford, it gets dark at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon right now. I don't know what it is. So if by 5 o'clock, it's pitch black, right? The doorbell rings, and I'm like, who is like ringing the doorbell right now? So I go to the door, and, and sure enough, there are two of Connor's friends, Connor, our middle child, two of his friends that are there, and, and they had baked brownies for his birthday. And so Kylie and Anna are there and it's freezing outside and they have a little lighter and one little candle on the brownies and they're trying to light it and the wind keeps on blowing out the candle. What a great interruption to be interrupted by someone bringing you warm brownies, right? I will tell you that um, I ate half of those brownies and I don't feel bad about it because that's called the dad tax, all right? So if you live in my home, if anybody brings brownies or cookies or anything like that, half of it goes to me, and it's just kind of the rule. But, but anyway, all I'm saying is, is this, is that when we don't want an interruption or an interruption that we don't like, it's termed bad. But if there's an interruption that we do like, we label it good. Well, how about if some interruptions that happen in our lives that we label bad are actually really good, like they turn out to be good? And I want to talk about one of them today, and it's found in Luke chapter 1. We're going to dive into the Christmas story because it is December, and uh, I'll tell you this year, Christmas cannot come too soon. Some of you already have had your trees up since July. But anyway, uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke is a doctor. Uh, and, and so out of all of the New Testament writers, he gives us the most vivid description of Jesus's birth. And in Luke chapter one, verse 26, it says this, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. I want to stop there a moment. The reason why Mary was interrupted is because she was favored. I want to just sometimes interruptions happen because you're favored. Okay. Now, now you may not see it as a favored interruption, but it ends up being a favored interruption. I'll get to that in a moment. The Lord is with you. The angel said confused and disturbed. <laughs> I think those are two very interesting terms to describe Mary. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. David was like a, a, an amazing king in the Old Testament, all right? And he will reign over over Israel forever, his kingdom, capital K, kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Now, we all heard the story before, right? We all know this, but, but I want you to put your, yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment. I want you to think about what this felt like for her, that this was not something that was normal, all right, and, and what it must have felt in her heart and in her her emotions. You know, we have sanitized this story to fit our Sunday school narrative because Mary becoming pregnant outside of wedlock created all kinds of problems for her. 
All right. I want you to imagine the conversation that she had with, with her fiance, Joseph, to announce that she's pregnant, but she's still a virgin. And that it was an angel that came and that it's all God's fault that this happened. I mean, imagine if you're Joseph, how did that conversation go over? Right? You know, to be single and pregnant in biblical times was, was really, really difficult. I'm not saying to be single and pregnant today is not difficult. It is very difficult, but in Bible times, it literally could be life threatening. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But imagine the conversations that Mary had to have when now her family and her neighbors, as they start seeing a baby bump and, and her friends, I mean, and what is the, what does the wedding look like now? It's all different than what she imagined in her mind. Right? But remember Mary, you're favored. It's the whole reason why this interruption happened. You're favored. And she's probably thinking if this is what favor looks like, I'd hate to see what favor or not having favor looks like. Right? And so now we fast forward and we go forward one chapter to Luke chapter two it says this. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in, Gal in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged. So we're not even married yet. Okay. Who is now expecting a child. Now we know the story again, but I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Mary and, and Joseph had to travel the equivalent of 90 miles by foot, by donkey, by horse, by camel, by something, no Uber to get there. All right. 90 miles and Mary is close to giving birth. She may even be having Braxton Hicks contractions. She may even be already sensing that the baby is coming. And Joseph looks at her and says, Hey, let's go 90 miles on a donkey. I want you to think about this woman. All right. I want you to think about those for those of you that, that have been pregnant before. What would that be like a week? two weeks before you're giving birth to all of a sudden go 90 miles, right? And to register for a census. What that really meant is this. It meant that they were registering and putting their name on a roster to pay taxes. This makes April 15th look a little bit better to us, right? Imagine that you had to get on a donkey and go 90 miles to go pay your taxes. And so this is a, uh, not a positive situation. They, they really didn't want to go on this trip, but here's a question I have for you. Why did Mary go in the first place? Nowhere in any sort of historical writings, whether they be Christian writings or secular writings, does it ever say that the fiance has to go and register with the man? It doesn't say that at all. In fact, it was only the man's responsibility to go back to his ancestral hometown and register and pay taxes. So why did he bring Mary? Why did he, why did he bring this traveling companion who's about ready to give birth? In fact, you know what? It would have made a lot of sense back in that day. If Mary would have just stayed back at home with her blood family and given birth, because in that day, men many times would be off to war for months or years. Sometimes they'd be off on business travel for months. So it would have not been abnormal for Joseph to say, I'll go to Bethlehem. You stay here, give birth. 
Why, why did she go? Well, this is the reason why she left her family. She left her neighborhood. She got on the back of a donkey or she walked or whatever to go 90 miles to go pay taxes. And she didn't have to be here. This is the reason why she did it. It is because if Joseph would have left Mary back in Nazareth, most likely her family and her neighbors would have killed her. Now, some of you are like, really? That's not in the Sunday school story. No, it's not, is it? And here's the reason why they would have most likely done an honor killing on her because for her to be pregnant outside of wedlock was a high offense. And that many times women that were pregnant outside of wedlock were either ostracized or killed. Okay. Do you hear that? Joseph is actually protecting his wife to be. And, and so they would, have, they would have probably done bad things to her. In fact, later on, we read in the Bible where people are talking about Jesus's hometown in Nazareth, and people said this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, now listen, that isn't because it was in a bad place or it was the wrong side of the tracks or anything like that. No, it had nothing to do with environment. The reason why people said, can anything good come out of Nazareth is because the people were that bad. They were that mean. And, and these were most of Jesus's relatives or neighbors. We think of Nazareth as a city. It was maybe six acres at the most 60 acres. Think of more of, of a commune. All right. Everybody knew everyone there. And Joseph is like, Mary, you're coming with me because I don't trust what's going to happen to you if I go to Bethlehem. So they start traveling and they go to Bethlehem. Talk about an interruption, right? Talk about an interruption. And on top of that, on top of that, once they get to Bethlehem, there's no place to stay. But hey, Mary, remember you're favored. <laughs> remember you're favored. This whole interruption happened because you're favored, all right? It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Bethlehem is packed out, all right? And, and so what they do is, is they, the, you know, tradition says they approached an inn, I-N-N, an inn, and they knocked on the door and an innkeeper came to the door and tradition says that the innkeeper said, I'm sorry, there's no room in the inn, but I do have a stable for you so you can go into the stable. But here's the thing, and I know I've said this before during Christmas season, I'm not trying to burst anybody's bubble, but none of this is in the Bible. <laughs> there's no innkeeper. There's none of that. In fact, this is a fictional character. What we do know is somebody turned Mary and Joseph away. But most likely what happened here is back in this day, in Jesus's day, that they would have houses in the first levels where the, the family's animals would live. It was kind of like a big pen. You could say a big area that they bring all the animals in. And then the living quarters was on a second level. And so most likely they're knocking on doors of homes and they're saying, will you let us in? And people are saying, I'm sorry, our, our guest bedroom is full. So you can stay on the first floor if you want to. Probably went something like this, knocking on the door, knock, 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 knock. 
uh, Joseph is like, hey, my wife is having contractions. She's about ready to give birth. Can we come in? And the person, whoever the innkeeper, whoever the owner of the home was, is like, I'm sorry, there's no room, but you can stay downstairs if you want and shut the door. Now, this is what we know now. We know now that the innkeeper or the owner missed the most amazing, spectacular, magnificent miracle in the history of the world. God showed up. God came in the person of Jesus. And this person, whoever shut Mary and Joseph out, had turned away the divine. Think about this. Actually, the divine was knocking on the door and this person looked at it as the equivalent of a telemarketer calling at dinner time. Sometimes we do the same. What can we learn from the fictional innkeeper or whoever it was that turned away Jesus? We need to recognize the divine knocks on the door of our normal life all the time. But so many times we don't see it. We don't recognize it. Because the original Christmas, again, go back with me and try to be in the moment of what we're reading here. The original Christmas was just business as usual. People are working in Bethlehem. People are struggling in Bethlehem. There's confusion and fear. There's people that are angry because they got to pay taxes. Hello. There are people that are having family drama. People are working. It's no big deal. And guess what? God shows up in the middle of no big deal. Shows up right in the middle of, of, of not a majestic moment, because that's where we always look for, for God is in the majestic moments. Or on the opposite end, we look for him in the tragedies, like all of a sudden something happens and then we seek God out of desperation. But this is the thing. Bethlehem is just business as usual. And that's where God does his most powerful work during business as usual. God moves most powerfully in everyday common moments of life. Yes, he works in the majestic, and yes, he's there in the tragedy, but I will tell you that most often he's there Monday through Saturday, just not on Sundays. Does that make sense? Divine knockings are all around us, but we interpret them as just interruptions. Look back at Jesus's miracles. The vast majority of Jesus's miracles happened when he was going from point A to point B. He was on the way to somewhere and he got interrupted. He got interrupted by someone tugging at a garment. He got interrupted by someone climbing a tree. He got interrupted by someone shouting out and saying, heal me. So therefore, can I tell you, if you want to know where the miracles of God are, they're in our everyday moments. They're not in the majestic moments only. They're in everyday moments where the divine is knocking on the door of our heart. But many times we don't see it. Can I tell you, interruptions can be divine interventions. Divine interventions. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, we get a picture of how Jesus is right now many times trying to get our attention. It says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock, God is saying. If you hear my voice, if you hear my voice. So many times we, we look at this verse and we, we, we picture Jesus knocking. But listen, really, 
those words, if you hear my voice, that's the pivotal moment. That's, that's the key. That's the, the crucial moment. If we hear him and open the door, God says, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Share a meal. What does that mean? It means this. It means, it means that God wants relationship. That's a metaphor. Share a meal. You see, See, when you share a meal, that's something that you do as, as a fellowship moment, as a relationship moment. And the God of the universe doesn't sit a thousand miles up in the sky on a cloud somewhere, but rather he knocks at the door of our heart and he's like, hey, listen, I want relationship. I want relationship with you. I want to show you a picture of the most famous painting in the 19th century. This is it right here. It's called Light of the World, William Holman um, Hunt is the uh, is the person that created it and he created it inspired by the verse I just read in Revelation chapter 3 this painting in the 1800s actually toured around and people would wait in line for hours and hours to see it now 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 remember this is before like cell phones internet TV Netflix movies. In the 1800s, people maybe had seen a photograph, maybe. But I will tell you that this painting was so vivid and it was so beautiful that people would stand in line for hours. And many of them, historical accounts say, many people would faint when they'd see it. Not because they stood in line for hours, but because of this. If you look at this painting, no matter where you're standing in the room, Jesus's eyes are fixed on you. So the painter made it. So no, whatever angle you're looking at, Jesus is always looking at you. And this, this really blew people away, even disturbed people so much that some people fainted. You believe that? Oh, there's so much symbolism in this, in this painting, but I want to point out a few things. First of all, not only in this painting, but in Revelation chapter three, Jesus is purposely trying to interrupt. There's an interruption taking place. Like the God of the universe is knocking. Now, if you look in Revelation chapter three, it's, it's, a, it's a chapter full of prophetic words to various churches, real churches in the known world at that time. Now, what's a prophetic word? It means it's a God-inspired word. It means it's a, it's a specific word. And so where, where this verse lands is actually in a prophetic word to a church that's located in Laodicea. And what God said in this prophetic word to Laodicea, the church of Laodicea, was this. He described them as being, quote, lukewarm. They weren't hot for God and they weren't cold for God. They were just lukewarm. And, and guess what? This church is being rebuked actually in this prophetic word. And at the end of it, it says, and behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door. So, so here's the thing. This is a picture of Jesus knocking on the church door, a church that is lukewarm. But metaphorically, it is also this knocking on a person's heart, which means this knocking on your heart, my heart. This isn't just the church capital C, this is the church U. And so he is knocking symbolically on a person's heart. And someone 
on the inside is going to have to stop what they're doing and answer the door, right? Here's my question to you. In 2020, has Jesus been trying to interrupt you in some way? This, this, this year has thrown us, right? See, whenever I see an interruption, I'm wondering if it's an intervention. And so has Jesus been trying to interrupt you? Because like Mary, sometimes God's interruptions can look frightening or bigger, but he's actually through his interruption, he is favoring you, all right? Or like the innkeeper, we could respond that way, that we may not see the interruption or acknowledge it, we just shut the door and go on. Has God been using 2020 to disrupt you from a level of lukewarmness in your faith? I know, I know, some of you are like, well, you just stepped on my toes. Well, that's my job, okay, so, right? Because I'm stepping on my own toes. When I was prepping this, I started to think to myself, God, have you been using 2020 to disrupt and interrupt my lukewarmness in areas of my faith? Huh. You know, maybe God wants to do something quite supernatural in our lives. Maybe he wants to do something that's quite, quite different than what we've experienced just Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and day in and day out and business as usual, Bethlehem. Maybe he wants to disrupt it. Maybe he wants to shock it. Maybe he wants to totally turn it inside out and upside down. I don't know. Second thing from this picture, which I think is kind of interesting, is that the door is overgrown. In other words, it has not been used in a while. The painter purposely did this to show a door that is not in high use. So let me ask this. Do you find yourself more closed off in 2020? Has the world spinning out of control or things driving you crazy or the election or people making you mad or whatever it is in the news cycle has it been so confusing and frustrating and and maybe even fearful that you find yourself shut down and closed off and emotionally fried hmm. and you're like i don't really even feel like opening the door being vulnerable I don't even feel like it. I don't even feel like going to church. See, see, can I tell you something? Some of you watching right now online, and I'm glad you're watching online right now. And listen, we will, we will always prioritize online. It's actually our largest location by thousands and thousands of people. But some of you, you feel okay going to in-person gatherings, but you just kind of on, on today, you just kind of don't feel like getting ready and going to church. I would challenge you. I challenge you to come in person. Now, if you don't feel comfortable coming in person, don't. But if you feel comfortable, and the only thing that's holding you back is effort. Hmm. So here's the thing. Is God knocking on the door, but you've, you haven't opened the door because you're kind of fried right now. Here's another thing. Notice there's no doorknob on the outside of the door, which means that the door can only be opened from the inside. Hmm. Therefore, Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lord, resurrected Savior, all-powerful, holds literally the universe in his hand, is purposely not exercising his supernatural power, but he is waiting. He's waiting for you 
to open the door. Think about that. Think about that. The power to change is in him. The power to accept that change is in you. So therefore, is Jesus waiting on you? You're like, oh God, I want you to move in my life. And he's like, I will if you will. I will if you will. Maybe he's waiting for you to not be so distracted. Maybe he's waiting for you to put down your phone. Maybe he's waiting for you to be obedient. Maybe he's waiting for you to open a door. Last thing is this, is the knock is getting quieter if you look at this painting. Some of you are like going, wait a minute, how can you hear the painting? Well, notice his hand. Okay, everybody look at me for a moment. When you knock on a door, you knock like this, right? Right? You knock like this. After you've been knocking for a long time, what do you do? Like this. Notice where his feet are positioned. They're beginning to turn away from the door. The painter is doing this on purpose. He painted Jesus with an open palm knocking and his feet beginning to turn away. And this denotes that he has been knocking for a long time. 2020 could be entitled this, The Great Disruption, right? The Great Interruption, The Great Disruption. So, so here's my question. God has been knocking on the door of your life maybe for years, but definitely in 2020. So here's my question. Has God gotten your attention yet? Has God gotten your attention yet? I mean, if not 2020, what's it going to take? He's been knocking since March 15th real loudly. And he's waiting for you because he loves you. He accepts you just the way that you are, but he loves you enough to not keep you that way. He wants you to open the door. He died for you. And he's been knocking for a really, really long time. And you start seeing in the painting that he begins to turn his wrist. And now he's knocking like this and his feet are beginning to point away, which is denoting this, that he is not going to make you do anything. But he's also, he's always going to be faithful, but he's also going to give you your space. So here's a question that I have for us is we want to be interrupted by hope. Maybe 2020 has been the great interruption. And like Mary, it first didn't look that great. It actually looked really hard. But yet God turned it around. Maybe what we think is a good interruption isn't, and what we think is a bad interruption is actually good, and maybe we have this whole thing turned upside down, and maybe we need to start looking at 2020 less like, oh gosh, can't wait till 2021, as if on January 1st the world's going to change, hello. But secondly, secondly, maybe we need to quit looking at 2020 as being something so terrible, and we start looking at it as an intervention that God had to disrupt us so that he could do something miraculously in us and he can give us the hope that we desperately need. So I wanna pray for you and then I'm gonna show you something that I think is really exciting. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna just take a moment and I wanna pray that we would look at this, this interruption 
as an intervention. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, for all of us watching in these auditoriums, Lord, online in our living room or on our smart device, God, may we reframe 2020 instead of the great interruption or disruption, maybe it's the great intervention. You're showing us what's really important. You're knocking on the door. You're wanting us to open up our heart. And I pray that even for some of us that maybe we've been resistant or lazy or whatever, lukewarm, maybe, maybe we've been angry. I don't know what it is, but Lord, I pray that we would open up the door and allow you to come in. And the Lord, we would be interrupted by hope. We don't wanna be like the innkeeper that didn't see the divine in the common. But Lord, we want to instead, we want to be people who open ourselves up to you. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your leader and your forgiver, and I'm just going to have you keep your eyes closed on this. If you haven't done that and you say, you know what, I need to open the door and I want a relationship with Jesus, which means that you, you, you say, I'm sorry for all I've done wrong, all my sin come in and be the leader of my life. I want to have a relationship with you. If that's you, I'm just going to say a quick prayer and you can repeat this prayer after me. And you can just do it in your, in your heart right now. I'm not even going to have you say it out loud. You can just do it in your heart. And he hears you. That's how much he loves you. He's been knocking on the door of your heart forever. And he can't wait for you to open the door from the inside and to let him in. So just repeat this prayer after me in your mind. Dear Jesus, I open the door to you. I want a relationship. Forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name.